0: you and everyone. Thank you for the response, Mark. (laughs) Well, we have had a whole month of guest speakers. Uh, It's been a really good, I mean, come on, the Lenny Hernandez and Dave uh, from New Jersey, and just it's just been such an amazing, really, really, really good month. But I just realized we're in the second month of the new year in February, and today this is my first message to you all. Um, speaking to you for the first time in this new year. And if you came to PPP, the Passionate Pursuit of His Presence, we do that, we, just, we do prayer every evening during the first week of church, I mean, first week of the year. Um, Pastor Q and I, we shared from our hearts, very, very brief, like it was, they gave us five minutes or something like that to so just kinda um, wet your taste buds for this, but a very brief word about what God has placed on our hearts Uh, that is to be emphasized, or what God is speaking over, particularly this community, over Hope Church. Can you all still hear me? So he emphasized faith. He spoke about it um, as well as um, in a sermon, but during PPP as well. And the phrase that he kept saying over and over again was, by faith by faith and then pastor Dave spoke on it and it just was really working out that it was by faith this year there's something about faith you know by faith for me the word that I was getting um, was the word actually action it was the word action the phrase particularly being from James 1 22 saying not just hearers of the word but doers of the word And it was being emphasized, and I just felt this restlessness over 2020. Like, I felt like, yes, you know, remember shoring up and remember, you know, having our foundation and all that stuff. But I felt like we were at a time now um, in our community, our faith community and church, where, you know, we have faith, but how many of us are actually letting that motivate us or propel us into some sort of action? I just felt like this restlessness, like, you know, time is, the the urgency of it, time is running short, you know, we say, you know, I'll do this after this, I'll do that when this happens, and, you know, we're just kind of delaying things, and I just felt like this year for some reason, 2020, that there's a sense of urgency where, yes, by faith, but by faith what? What? Even when we lo- read in Hebrews, it was by faith Abraham had it credited to me that by faith he moved when God told him to move from you know um, Ur out into the where God led him by faith. Moses was able to do this and do this and that by faith. Yeah, it's not just they had incredible, awesome faith, but it was by faith they then did this. They then did that. There was something because of the faith they had that they were propelled and moved forward to do something. So it was by faith. So I felt like this really goes hand in hand. By faith, yes. Then, because of the faith, something. Then the action that is to come. So this year for us is to do something about our faith right? I think a lot of times we're erring on the side of, you know, uh, growing our faith, feeding our faith, but what good is faith without works? What good is faith without deeds? As you know from James, one of my very, very favorite uh, epistles, so that it goes hand in hand. And so we need to go out on a limb. We need to move out of our comfortable place, take steps or even leaps of faith, that our faith should cause us to act and cause us and lead us into action. So this is, this is the message for today. That's what I want to talk about. Faith that leads to action. I want to talk about faith that leads to action here, but more specifically, as it relates to the will of God. I'm going to put, kind of put that hand in hand. It's the faith that leads us to action, but more, more specifically, as it relates to the will of God. So everybody open to Matthew chapter 14. I'm using the NIV you all know that there's a more recent version of NIV, and it changed. I forgot when, 19, recent 1990s, did it? Was it more in 2000? I still go by the old uh, NIV, so the scripture I've memorized and stuff is from the old NIV, so it kind of messes me up sometimes. But Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32, is a very, very familiar story, so let's read it together. Oh, I mean, I'll read it. You guys can read in your... When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, like I said, this is a very familiar story. And Peter, he just amazes me. He absolutely amazes me. Who would think to ask such a thing? Who would think to ask... I wouldn't have thunk it. I wouldn't have thought it, right? Who would think to actually... Ask for such a thing. He's the one person among all the disciples who calls out to Jesus and asks for proof that it is really the Lord, right? You know, let's look at the, uh, verse 28 and 29 again. Lord, if it is you, I'm gonna need some proof here. Tell me to come and walk on the water out to you. And then Jesus, you know, he complies. He's like, come, with one word. Peter then gets out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus. How many of us would have done the same thing? How many of us would have really gotten out of the boat and stepped out onto the rough waters? Sure, you know, he says this. Maybe he's testing Jesus. But Jesus says, without hesitation, come. And then, you know, if I was Peter, how many of us would be like, okay. And then, you know, you see the water and everything. There's waves and, you know. How many of us would actually then be able to take that step out and step out into the rough waters below. It took courage and a huge, a huge step of faith on Peter's part to do this. Because first, he had to believe that it really was Jesus out there and that it wasn't a ghost like the others thought. They were like, it's a ghost! You know, they don't know. It's just kind of a wispy figure out there. And, you know, and so first, it took him having that belief. He believed that it was Jesus out there. Secondly, he had to believe that he could actually walk on the water. Just because Jesus says, come, he had to believe that when he steps out of the boat and puts his foot down on the water, that he was actually going to walk on it simply because Jesus says, come, one word. Now, what were the other disciples thinking? What were they doing? You know, this is kind of, you know, you got to picture the whole thing like it's a movie. What do you think the other disciples were thinking? What do you think that they were doing? Of course, it's much more comfortable and safer to stay in the boat, right? And the others may be thinking, they may have thought, okay, oh, sure, it is Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, I recognize him now. It is Jesus. But I don't need to do something crazy like Peter. I'm, I'm all right. I'm right here where I am. I see him. That's Jesus. You know, but I don't need to do something crazy like Peter and step out into this water. It's safer in here. But Peter put his trust in Jesus, and he had faith. He risked it all, he risked it all, and he took a step of faith, literally a step of faith, and he left the boat. And because he did that, because he took this step, he has done what no one else in the world throughout all of history has done. He actually walked on water. No one else. He goes down in history. He goes down in the, you know, in the Bible. People, I'm preaching about it. You read stories about it. We tell our kids Bible stories about it. You know, we learn it in church. He has done what no one else has done um, after Jesus, and that is he actually walked on water. But that's not the end of the story. Sadly, we know Peter being Peter. So now he's taken this step of faith, and he's walking towards Jesus, and then what happens? Well, he begins to sink. Why? Why does he begin to sink? Because he starts to get scared. Has that ever happened to you where you start to do something, and then in the middle of it, you start to have doubts? Like, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> Who knows, right? Have you ever done that? You start out doing something. It, it, it you know, seemed like a good idea at the time. And then in the middle of it, you're like, oh, oh, man, you know? Maybe this wasn't such a good idea, but then it's too late. I still remember my first roller coaster ride (laughs) at King's Dominion when I was in third grade. Do they still have the Rebel Yell? They do? gosh third grade that was like 1970 something anyway but um the rebel yell was the first you know the big big deal roller coaster and it has that huge you know drop right and so you know you wait in line you wait in line and um they were like oh you know i I was with older people and they were like it's not so bad it's just a roller coaster you can't leave you can't come to king's Dominion without riding this and so you know and then you get in and then it starts to climb and you see below and then you're like This was not such a good idea. This was not such a good idea. And then, of course, you do the plunge. So I remember, yeah, sometimes we're right in the middle of it, but it's too late and it's not such a good idea. Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, who is standing there waiting for him. Instead of focusing on Jesus, Peter looks around. He notices the rough waters churning under his feet. You know, he notices that water. He feels the harsh wind buffeting against his body. You know, there's all these gales of wind, and he's fighting it probably, you know, while trying to get to Jesus. And he starts to realize maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And he probably is thinking, hey, people don't walk on water, you know? And the doubt starts to happen. He becomes afraid, and his faith falters. And what happens? He starts to sink. But then Jesus quickly reaches out, grabs him, saves him, and brings him safely into the boat. Jesus is not going to just let him sink there and, and be like, uh-huh, this is a test, and just watch him sink lower and lower. But Jesus quickly reaches out, grabs him, and pulls him into the safety of the boat. But Jesus also doesn't let him get by without rebuking him. He says to, um, Jesus says to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Jesus does get his one-liner in. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, and it defines faith this way, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the newer NIV. I memorized it. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So some of you guys may have um, memorized the older version. But this is the definition of faith. And oftentimes our problem is that we lack faith. And when we lack faith, we're always wondering, we're always worrying, we're always searching about our future, we're always, you know, um, worrying and stressed about the decisions that we have to make, about, about whether we're living God's will for us. Are we in God's will? Are we out of God's will? What is God's will for, for me and my life? Wondering, searching, and, 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 you know, we're very confused. We're terrified. As Christians, we admit this. We're terrified that we may not be living according to God's will for us, that we're somehow outside of his will, right? And so we pray. We wait upon God. We go to the pastors. God, pray for me. Give me a prophetic word. You know, what should I be doing about this? What should I be doing about that? Give me a word. Give me a word. Every person, every uh, special speaker we have, you come and receive prayer for them, hoping that they'll give you that word, right? We pray about it, and we're begging for a sign. We're begging for some undeniable sign from God before we make certain decisions, before we can move forward. We, I just need a sign. I need a sign that this is from you, Lord. And most of us, we hope for this sign to be like supernatural, miraculous, you know, you know the sky-riding kind, you know? Like you hope that some airplane is going to somehow you know, put it in the sky and write to you directly what you should or should not do. Like we're we're looking for something magical, something supernatural, something out of the ordinary, so that we can be sure that it is from God, right? There's a story of a man. Um, I probably told this story before, but there's a story of a man that he was trapped. Uh, in a flood, rising waters. It's a hurricane, probably lived in Florida. Hurricanes happening and there's massive flooding and the water is rising. And so the uh, governor, mandatory evacuation order goes around. And so the police are going door to door, letting people know you, know you need to leave, mandatory evacuation, right? So this one man in his home, he says, he says to them, he goes, I know that my God will save me and my house, so I'm not leaving. And so, you know, the police leave. And then the water continues to rise and has come up to the first floor of the house. His car even gets submerged. And so he's still there. And then the boat comes. The rescue workers come by boat, you know, and and they say, sir, you know, we're here to save you. Get into the boat. We need to leave, right? And the guy insists again. He says, no, no, no. My God will save me. I am not going to go with you. I have faith. The water continues to rise and the man has to end up on his roof, So he's waiting on his roof now, right? And the water level has risen to that point. He's standing on his roof, and then the helicopter comes. So the rescuers are coming in the helicopter with their megaphone or whatever, and they're shouting down, sir, you know, we're gonna send down a rope and send someone down to get you, and please, we need to leave now. And the same thing, the man says, no, he shouts up, my God will save me, and I will not go. Now the waters, they continue to rise, and the man drowns. He dies. So when he gets to heaven, he's quite upset with God, as you can imagine. He's quite upset. And he asks God, what happened? Didn't you see me down there? Didn't you hear me? Didn't you see my great faith? And God replies to him, what were you waiting for? I sent the police with the evacuation order. I even sent the boat. I even sent a helicopter. What were you waiting for? And so when I read this um, this illustration of the story, I was thinking, I think that's how we are a lot of times, right? We wait and we wait and wait. And we say, we pat ourselves on the back saying, Oh, I have faith. Yeah, I'm I'm I have great faith, faith that moves mountains. So I'm gonna wait. God's gonna deliver me from this. When there are things happening, maybe ordinary means, it's not gonna be some some, you know, rope that falls out of the sky from heaven, you know, that lifts you, or you're going to suddenly see angels float down and lift you up and save you, but all these different means, and this man says, what happened? I waited and waited for you. We've, we've heard so much that our God is a God of miracles that I think we often forget that he's also the God of the ordinary, right? We're always looking for that wow, factor. We're always looking for that supernatural. It can only be from God because that is just not normal. That's not natural. You know, we're looking for these things. So we forget that God is also the God of the ordinary. He can use the ordinary. Sometimes we're so focused on waiting for a sign to make sure that we're doing things according to his will, that we often end up doing nothing at all. We often end up not moving forward or taking any action at all we're immobilized because we're still waiting for that sign. Even if we have received certain signs, we're just waiting for that sign. There are times when God clearly does give us a sign, but we choose to ignore it, or we choose not to see it. Has that ever happened to anyone? Where God does give a sign, but we choose not to see it. Or we do see it, but what do we do? Give me a second sign, God. Give me a second sign to confirm that first sign. Come on, give me a second sign. Then I'll know it's from you. I need a confirmation of that first sign. Right? How many of you guys? We've, we've all done that. We've all been there. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying that we should seek signs. I'm not saying that we shouldn't wait upon the Lord. Of course we should. But sometimes we need to trust and obey. We need to trust that, hey, I'm in God's will. God's got this, I've got this. We need to trust and obey and just take that step of faith. Stop waiting for these signs instead of waiting. And what is it that we're waiting for? What is it that we're waiting for? If you're really honest with yourself, what is it that you're waiting for? If you have a big decision to make, if something's coming up or you're indecisive about something and you know, you're praying, waiting upon the Lord for different things, what is it that you're waiting for? Many of us, We're waiting for God's will to be revealed because, again, it's that fear of somehow being outside of his will. You don't want that to happen, so it's a fear of being outside of his will. So you don't want to make a move until you're completely sure it's been, you know, affirmed and confirmed by your pastor and by this and this and that, that this is God's will for you. I've heard people say that you must discover God's will as if it was hidden I've also heard people say that you must find it. You've got to find God's will for you, as if it was lost. When people use the phrase, finding God's will, they generally, what they generally mean is that they want divine guidance. That's what they mean. They want divine guidance on specific choices that they have to make. Is it God's will for me to marry this guy? Is it God's will for me to quit this job and start this business? Is it God's will for me to go here and to move there? It's these specific questions that we have, and we say, we frame it that way. Is it God's will for me to do this or to do that? The New Testament contains no command for us to find God's will. There are no commands that says to find God's will. Instead, we're given the Holy Spirit who gives us guidance to do God's will. Let me say that again. We're given the Holy Spirit who guides us to do God's will. And simply put, what is God's will? God's will is whatever gives him pleasure. That's what we are to do. Look here. I know you've read this verse a million times, but look, read it in light of what I'm saying here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus right? What is God's will for you? Am I in God's will? Am I continuously rejoicing and praying and giving thanks? That's God's will for me. So are you living according to his will for you? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in other words, this is what gives him pleasure. I am living in God's will and within God's will. I'm not outside his will if I am rejoicing, praying, and giving things continuously, and I'm walking with the Lord, and I am living my life in such a way that I give God pleasure. If you're faithfully walking with God, be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged that you're living according to his will. You are. It says this is God's will for you. You are living according to his will. And God definitely gives us guidance through the Holy Spirit. I mean, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, you know, it just wouldn't even be possible to even attempt this, uh, to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. This world is so depressing that if we didn't have the Holy Spirit and if we didn't have faith and hope, there's no way I could rejoice and give thanks and, and pray continually. God definitely gives us guidance through the Holy Spirit so that we can do his will. The two questions that I get asked the most, the two questions always, I guess, asked, by younger folks. Uh, the first question is, how did you know Hun was the one for you? How did you know, um, how did you know that it was God's will for you to marry Hun? I mean, Hun, who, who doesn't speak English, you know, he grew up in Korea, and you, who, you know, in America, like, how did you know? How did that come about? You must have been sure that it was God's will, and how did you know Hun was the right one for you? The second question I get asked a lot is, how did you know you wanted to be a pastor? How did you know that God was calling you to ordained ministry? You, a woman, you, you know, this Korean uh, little girl, like, how did you know that you were supposed to be a 목사님, a, you know, reverend minister uh, and to be in pastoral ministry? These are the two questions. And again, you see how both of them are related to, how did you know this was God's will for you to marry this person? How did you know it was God's will for you to become a pastor? These are the questions that I get. In seminary, I had a professor named uh, Dr. Bruce Walkie. Dr. Bruce Walkie, he's actually um, quite well-known. He's written a lot of commentaries and such. Uh, He's the only person um, I know that during seminary, when he was... um, when he preaches, but also when he's teaching and stuff like that, he has the original Hebrew Bible. He preaches from the Hebrew Bible. It's not in English when he's preaching. Uh, amazing, amazing. But um, Dr. Bruce Walkie, he wrote this book. This is a picture of him. He wrote this book, and the title of the book. It's actually this book is very popular. It's in several editions. It says "Finding the Will of God: A Pagan Notion?" Question mark is it a pagan notion finding the will of god right and in this book he outlines a, a six point approach for living a life pleasing to god according to his will so christians oftentimes we're so fixated on finding his will find is it lost somewhere we've got to find this will we've got to find this blueprint you know and he brings up the question is it a pagan notion pagans do this but for christians Should we be trying to discover something that's lost, uh, discover uh, the will of God? So I want to briefly share with you these six, very, very brief. I don't have the time to elaborate or go deeply into it, but if you want to take notes, you may. But um, in his book, the six ways that you are to be able to um, move forward and kind of discern God's will for you um, is, first, read the Bible. That's a no-brainer. That's, you know, no big surprise there, right? Number one, read the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, as you know, another well-known scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So scripture is given to teach us. It's given to instruct us on life so that we may develop skills, that we can um, have gained knowledge and insight for living. Really, the Bible is our manual. Really, the Bible is God's love letter to us. Really, all, you know, what we need to know is all there. It's the living word there. and It's living you know, and active, and it's, it's, it's not a dead, you know, some sort of a historical um, a history book. It gives us insight for living. So for any decisions that you're contemplating, see what God is saying to you through his word. I know, it's a novel idea, don't call up your pastor, don't text a message, you know, don't, you know, try to go after different prophetic people with gifts, and, you know, I know, crazy, but look at the Bible, read the Bible, and see maybe what the Bible is saying to you. What is God saying to you through his word? Secondly, consider the desires of your heart. Consider the desires of your heart. The Holy Spirit puts desires in us. If it is true that I, my body is a temple indwelling of the Spirit, and I, the Holy Spirit within me, we're working together here, when you're walking close to the Lord, He shapes your character. He shapes your attitudes. He shapes your likes and dislikes. He shapes your desires so that it corresponds to His. You know, like let's say that you were living in sin and just a very sinful life, a life of debauchery and things like that. If you are walking closely and intimately with the Lord, those former things that I used to say or do or places I used to go or whatever, it's going to be less and less appealing to me. When I am really intimate and just really close and walking with the Lord, right? He is shaping my character and my attitudes so that those things are less attractive. Those things are just going to you know, fall away, and I'm not going to desire them anymore. So if you are working, walking close to the Lord, examine the desires of your heart. Consider them. It just may be from the Lord. Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If you truly are delighting in the Lord every day, if you are walking out, you know, your life in the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're just flowing, you know, you and God, you know, like this, then you are delighting in Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But again, you think those desires are going to be some basic, like, like um, carnal, sinful, horrible desires, if you're delighting in the Lord? No. The desires in your heart are shaped. The attitudes and, and those things, likes and dislikes, are being shaped by God, by the Holy Spirit. So think, what has he given you a heart for? Think about it. What, have, what has he given you a heart for? Don't just, just discount it. Thirdly, now here's, here it is. Seek wise counsel. I kept saying, don't text your pastors, but seek wise counsel. That is one of the ways. See what God is saying to you through his people. Yeah, yeah. What is he saying to you? Um, people such as could be your pastors, teachers, mentors, even your parents. I can't tell you how many times, you know, my mom is a very God-fearing, you know, holy woman of God, and um, growing up, she would tell me things and um, give me advice or, or, you know, counsel me in certain things, and of course, I wouldn't listen, thinking that I was smarter than her, wiser than her, right? And then it always comes to later bite me in the butt. So, you know, yeah, it could come from our mentors, it could come from our parents, it can come from our friends. It can come from um, other mature Christians who can keep us accountable. And that's the key. People who know us, who can keep us accountable. I am all for the prophetic word from you know, people like Chris Vallotton or Sean Bolts or um, you know, various uh, well-known, famous uh, prophets. I am all for that, right? But where's that accountability? They come and give you a word and move on. But the people who know you, who are going to see you, they have a word for you, and then next week they see you, you know? There's that relationship where you know them and they can give you that accountability. Fourthly, look for God's providence. God's providence, it's, it's the stuff that we cannot control. God's providence, we cannot control it. Providence means that God is active, that currently, even right now, God is active in the world and he is at work in our circumstances. That he is active and working in the circumstances of our lives right now. He is not just far distant, far away like this, watching what's happening with a curious eye, but that he is in it with us, that he is active and moving still, right? And some people think of this God's providence, they call it chance. Oh man, you know, that happened by chance. Some people even call it coincidence. You know what I'm talking about? Some people chalk it up to, oh, that was, wow, that's such coincidence, right? Some people will call it karma right? They'll say, oh, this happened, so then this will happen, that it's a karma thing. Or some people think that it was accidental. Oh, man, purely by accident, you know, I was doing this, and then this happened. So people have different ways of, um, you know, naming it, whether it's coincidence, chance, karma, accidental, things like that. But it's God's providence at work. God's providence in your particular situation, creating those opportunities or closing them. A lot of people discount the second part. They say, yeah, God is creating opportunities for me, right? But what's the other part, too? He could be also closing doors for you. It's possible to have a definite purpose. It's possible to have a a, a strong calling to something. You have a calling on your life to something. You have a definite purpose. It's been affirmed by your peers. It's been confirmed by the pastor, by the prophet, all this stuff, right? And yet have circumstances prevent you from carrying out your plan. Whether it is you're supposed to marry this person, whether it's you're supposed to major in this and go into this career, whether you're supposed to you know, have this job or not. Circumstances can prevent you from carrying out your plan. I mean, this happened many times to Apostle Paul, Right? Am I right? When you read the Bible, this happened to Apostle Paul. When he spoke about visiting churches, he would say, oh, I long to come to you, and oh, I'll be there soon, you know? But circumstances would prevent him from coming to visit them, and then he got directed somewhere else. Doors were closed, he couldn't visit that church, and oh, you know, other places opened up for him, right? And we're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, that wasn't the way, and that was not God's will for him, and such and such, right? But... These things, circumstances as well as situations, not accident, you know, but think about God's providence. And again, like I said, it is God's providence sometimes when doors close. It's not that God's will is being thwarted. If you're so sure this is the way to go and doors close, you're like, ah, you Satan, you know, Satan is you know, against me, you know, and sometimes you kind of blame it that way. But it's not that God's will is being thwarted. You have to consider that God also closes doors for you. Again, don't always look for um, uh, these great big signs. And so that leads to number five, which is ask if it makes sense ask if it makes sense. Don't be afraid to rely on your sound judgment or even on logic. Logic is not the enemy of the supernatural, you know? We think, if we can reason it and explain it away, oh, then, ah, oh, it's not supernatural. I'd rather have the signs and the wonders and the supernatural stuff, you know, than this, because this is ordinary, this is not from God, right? Don't be afraid to rely on your sound judgment or on logic. You know that God has given us intellect. God has given us reasoning abilities. God allows us to reason and make decisions to make up our own minds. I know, again, you're like, wow, that's a novel thought. But we say this and we know this, but we don't act like it. We don't really live it out oftentimes. God has given us the ability to make up our own minds. So again, don't always look for that spectacular or the unique. The choice that makes the most sense sometimes, oftentimes, is the one that God would have us choose. Do you know what I'm saying? The choice that makes the most sense oftentimes is the one that God would have us choose. Sometimes Christians think that the harder, more difficult road is always the one that God prefers. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, I got to take up my cross daily. The Bible says, I'm going to suffer persecution. The Bible says, I'm going to, you will have many troubles in this life. I'm going to suffer. So when you have choices between two things, like opportunities come up, I think a lot of us, we do take those verses seriously and we say, oh, then yeah, I must suffer. Right? Let's say you know, you're offered a six-figure job in New York City. It includes an apartment in uh, Manhattan, you know, a six-figure job. Or another job opportunity comes up in Boise, Idaho. I don't know, (laughs) Boise, Idaho, okay? Nothing against Idaho, people. Nothing against Boise, Idaho, but let's just say, right? And you're thinking, wow, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Oh, my gosh, but (sighs) New York is a sinful city. Oh, New York, you know, I don't know if that's where God's calling me to be. You know, I'm just saying, just using as a, you know, kind of funny example too. But you think, Boise, oh, I would never choose willingly to go to Boise, Idaho, right? And then you think, you pray through it, and you're like... And, you know, we, we like to play the martyr. We're like, I know God wants me to go to Boise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to suffer. You know, that's what the path God wants for me. You know, a lot of times we do that. We, we don't think that... God really wants good things for us. Or we don't think between those two that, yeah, God, you know, six-figure job or whatever, whatever this is for us as opposed to this one. Because we have this mentality of as Christians, of course, you know, we've got to take the lesser and we've got to suffer and, and such things, right? The holy choice is the one that has a suffering, we think, right? And we choose to be martyrs. And now, having said all that, the last one, number six, this is number six, there is always room for the divine intervention, right? I said, stop looking for these incredible, supernatural, amazing, magical signs, but number six, there is always room for divine intervention. As believers, we're always open to it, and yes, we do seek it not just being open to it, but we go after, and we do seek it. But we cannot, what I'm trying to say is, we cannot depend on only the miraculous and the supernatural, because some of us, what we deem miraculous and supernatural, we never see it, and then we get disappointed, and we say, what's wrong with me? I see God doing incredible supernatural, miraculous things you know, in this person's life, but what about me? Maybe I'm not a Christian maybe maybe i'm not a good christian right you start to compare and you start to have these thoughts right so what i'm saying is we cannot depend on only the miraculous and supernatural the big sky riding kind of stuff when they do happen it's awesome when they do happen it's a celebration right it is awesome for sure but don't wait for these signs to happen before you take that step of faith you don't have to wait Let me conclude by asking you all this. The praise team comes up. Let me ask you this. Where are you right now? Where are you? Ask yourselves this question. Where are you right now? Are you safely inside the boat with the other disciples? Or are you boldly walking on the water right now? Like, you are doing it. You are walking on water. You are confident that you're in, you know, God's will, that you're living God's will for you. You are confident, and you are doing it. You're walking on water. Or, have you been walking on water, but now you feel like you're sinking? Now you feel like you're sinking. You're like, oh, man, distractions... You know, testing, trials Hardship comes up You're not so sure anymore You're not so sure You're out there on the water You took that step of faith But it wasn't what you thought it was going to be And so now you're starting to sink Trust Him Trust Him Take that step Trust Him There's always a safety net There's always a safety net God is not going to let you drown It Always a safety net. When Peter started to get distracted, when Peter started to sink, what did Jesus do? Let him sink? No. Quickly, he reached out, grabbed Peter, and brought him out. Quickly. But while the other disciples were still in the boat being safe, it's only Peter that we read about. It's only Peter that we hear about, you know, that actually did what no other person did, walk on water. So trust Him. Trust that you are and fully knowledgeable of God's will for you and that you're rejoicing in that. And take that step. Have the kind of faith that will move you into action. What good is faith simply just to have it? I have faith. I have great faith. I have faith. Do you have faith? To move forward and to be able to put that faith into action. And two works so let's consider just close your eyes for a moment and consider where are you picture yourself physically literally picture yourself are you sitting in the boat are you walking out on the water right now boldly or are you sinking